Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth, for sharing our podcast, and just for keeping the faith and fighting the good fight one day at a time. Father in heaven, thank you for this new day that you've made. Uh, We rejoice and are glad in it, and we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for our lives, and that plan includes today. If we are alive and our hearts are beating, there's breath in our lungs, and you've given us a voice, and you've told us to be salt and light, and we ask, Lord, that we would obey your word and that we would share the good news about Jesus and, and influence this culture for Christ. Bring us back to our biblical roots and help us, God, stand on the truth, regardless of its popularity or lack of popularity, and uh, help us to just be a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. We love you, Lord. We thank you for uh, just giving us an opportunity with so much chaos and destruction and discord, civil unrest in our nation and around the world. We have opportunities that we've never had before to talk to people about hope that they won't find anywhere else, and true peace that is only found in Christ. Use us today, O God, and lead us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, later on in this podcast, we're going to talk more about social justice, the next step for diversity and inclusion and identity politics. There's so much that we need to discuss about that. That's why we're doing a little bit every day, I'm sure. Um, We're going to be talking about that even next week. In fact, I've got a very special guest Um, God willing, next Wednesday, that you guys are going to be very blessed to hear from, from the African-American community. And we'll talk more about what has impacted the church and this this worldview that uh, is tilted off of its biblical foundation of, of truth and inerrancy and everything else. So, but for today's first segment, let's go to our new guest, Pa- uh, Dr. Pamela Caudill. She's the executive director of the Center for Bible Engagement in Lincoln, Nebraska. It is a research division of Back to the Bible. And throughout her career, she's researched a variety of topics from welfare policy to family violence to spirituality. And she's the lead researcher for Center for Bible Engagement. Dr. Caudill specializes in measuring spiritual growth and designing customized personal approaches to fostering that growth. Uh, Pam, Kadil, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time with us this morning. Uh, you do a lot of research, and you were telling me, I think you were, you've recently done with uh, this research four or five different studies or surveys, and the first one I received in my email uh, inbox, what is happening in your church? And this was um, under the title, how are, or under the question, how are pastors and regular church attenders navigating the pandemic? And I'd love for you to share your thoughts, the main bullet points from that. But one thing I see that came from it was um, that we expect most churches will experience a decrease in weekly worship attendance after this coronavirus, however long this is going to be extended. So would you please share some of the bullet points from that study? Uh, yeah, happy to. Um, so what we've been doing is, is everybody's trying to figure out how to navigate this change is we've been surveying pastors and then we've also been surveying church attenders to try to get some idea of how um, we're all going to kind of navigate this new reality. And what we see is that pastors are responding, they're being creative um, in trying to stay connected with their congregations. And congregants um, want that connection. And so that a lot of them are connecting online, uh, attending worship online for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding with regular church attenders is that this could potentially have an impact on what happens afterwards, that they're saying that, well, we're not so sure after this pandemic is over that we're going to go back to attending regularly in person like we did before. Hmm. Um, and so I think 
there's uh, some sign there that people are developing new habits. And um, so the church could look quite different after the pandemic mm-hmm. than before. Uh, very different, but um, not necessarily bad. Uh, we'll see. I mean, sometimes yeah. uh, people that were nominal Christians or, um, you know, CEOs, uh, Christmas and Easter only, perhaps, um, or uh, frequently like once, maybe once a month, um, they might not continue. Before I get into some other topics like giving, I find that to be fascinating. Um, some churches and some nonprofits say giving has been up during the coronavirus, thinking that, well, a lot of people have lost their jobs and and have harder times financially, so other people are picking up the slack. But um, I would love for you to share a little bit more about um, those that you talked to that were serious Christians, and then pastors. You said specifically pastors and church leaders. You got their feedback. So could you differentiate those results? Sure, yeah. So the um, the first group, the regular church attenders, those are the people who— for most churches, that's your core congregation. Those are the folks who come every week. Um, they're probably involved in your Bible study. And for them, the pandemic has, has had a significant impact on their lives and for their spiritual lives, but a lot of them, it's that their faith has grown. And for the first time, they're connecting with their local church online and also now exploring non-local churches as well. Um, And so it's through that kind of exploring non-local churches where you have this segment that's saying, well, maybe I'll do more online Hmm. um, after the pandemic. For pastors, I think um, they're seeing that through digital technologies and through kind of personal outreach, which many are doing during this pandemic, they um, can now connect with their their congregation outside the church walls and between Sundays. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for creative ways to do that, to maintain that connection. What do you know about the percentage of people who um, began viewing online um, sermons or worship services during the pandemic and those, like, for example, who, who never watched a sermon online. Actually, most people probably did, but then there's also a percentage of people that didn't do anything, right? Right, there is. So for your regular church attenders, most of them um, did not view online before the pandemic. And then um, after the pandemic started, you now have, I think it was uh, something like 58% who, who hadn't viewed before, and now they are. Um, and for pastors, I, I need you to ask the question again you asked about pastors. Um, not sure how I phrased it, but I was wondering about the percentage of people who had, had never watched an online sermon. That was probably a majority. Um, yes. Some of us, some of us before the pandemic and this ever started, we enjoyed really sound teaching from different pastors in different parts of the country. I can think of a handful, that one in Texas, one in California, that I watch almost weekly in addition to my own home church here in the Midwest. But what do you know about uh, people who um, had maybe never watched an online uh, sermon or service? Um, so for that group, the, the um, pandemic kind of prompted them to connect online, and 83% now are, are connecting with their um, local church online. So they're watching worship services. But then there's a good number, I think it's about half, who um, are watching, the ch- as you mentioned, the, mm-hmm. the churches from all over, right? Right, right, that you can connect with. And it was about uh, 46% who are watching some specific, we asked about some specific big churches that are known, Saddleback, uh, for example. And they're also, so they are attending multiple worship services now hmm. through online. Online. On okay. Um, one of the statistics in this, the first research um, or, or study that was sent to me, it says 46% of these uh, worshipers, worship were online with a non-local church, expect attendance may not go back to normal when the pandemic ends. Now, this is just this is for the people, for attendees. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, what can you tell us about that? Um, so they, when they said that their attendance might not go back to normal, um, they kind of were split in terms of whether they thought, well, maybe I'll attend more in person now. Um, and then you had a group that said, well, maybe I'll attend more online as well. Um, and I think as we're starting to see churches open up around the country with various restrictions, like our local churches here, for example, um, they can, with the restrictions that are in place, you end up being able to use about 20% of your capacity. Um, so I think that the what respondents were saying is we have this kind of sense that that things are going to be different. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a group that's definitely saying, I'm going to do more online. Um, and it varies by whether you're a regular church attender or you're that kind of occasional um, once or twice a month. We're speaking with Dr. Pamela Cadill, Executive Director of the Center for Bible Engagement. And the next question is back to uh, not only attendance, but giving. Um, a yes. few churches that I've uh, heard from or, or asked, um, said their giving has actually been a little better, which is kind of surprising. But what can you tell us about that? I'm looking at uh, the survey, which says about the same amount, and that's 38%, or some say better, and that's 37%. So if you put 38% and 37% together, meaning about the same or better, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is pretty pretty good. I think you do have a um, a minority that uh, say that giving is down of pastors who say that giving is down and and are, are concerned mm -hmm. that that will continue. I think some of the churches that were able to um, provide an online method for giving that goes with their online worship service um, probably that helped a lot to boost. Giving. Okay, the next question. Um, it, we've been talking a lot about the the reality of the early church and how it started out. Of course, they didn't have electricity, social media. They couldn't live stream a worship service, <laughs> and right. it's not the ideal because we need people. We need fellowship. Yeah. We need hugs. We need to do communion together. We need to pray together with other people. It's hard to be disconnected. But um, under this uh, first. A thing I'm looking at what is happening in your church, 91% live stream a worship service. That was maybe a month or maybe two months ago. Is there more? Have you heard now almost everybody is live streaming, or do some still not want to deal with the technology of YouTube or Facebook or, or video? Um, for the most part, we haven't resurveyed um, specifically on that question, but we do uh, work a lot with churches through the digital tools that we provide. Mm -hmm. And um, we've definitely seen churches, um, we had one example for their, they, their board of elders was very resistant to doing anything online. Mm. No website, nothing. Wow. And then the pandemic hit, and with um, kind of the support of our team, the pastor was able to finally kind of get a, a, an online presence. So I think okay. it's nearly universal at this point. Okay, and which is good. I mean, there are pros and cons to, to technology yeah. and, and anything like that. Um, what I'm interested also in, uh, Pamela, is those who live stream Bible studies, Bible study classes, because that's, that's fascinating, because after we get back to our churches, and some of us have been meeting together in our churches— we can still continue to do Bible studies midweek and do them online. What do you know about that? Um, I know that that's an area that a lot of churches are, are exploring now and figuring out how that works. Okay. And what really excites me is in all of our research as a Center for Bible Engagement, we've seen the power of getting people engaging with God's Word between Sundays. Um, so the people who are able to engage with God's Word most days of the week, their lives look radically different than those who don't. And so for a church to provide another connection point, another opportunity, even if it is digital and you don't have the benefit of being in person, I think that can only enhance their ministry. 
Uh, the next question is about prayer, and I, I, I'm so old school. I'm, so, I'm, I struggle with. I, I understand doing an online Bible study, going through the Bible, hearing a sermon, you know, teaching. You can see the scriptures, but praying online with with just yourself and a in your iPhone or your laptop or whatever it might be, nobody in the room, and you're with other people online. Yes, we can still pray together, and I know a lot of people have been doing that. Um, I think I'm re- if I'm reading this right, it says um, 44% expressed interest in an online— oh, I'm sorry, that's Bible study. But it, then it says, and an online prayer service. Okay, that's 25%. So clarify what I just got confused. <laughs> um, so, so one of the things we asked people, the regular attenders in particular, is how can the church best support you at this time? And— um, what they were interested in, what the quote you were just, the statistics you were just quoting was 44% were very interested in an online adult Bible study. And then a quarter talked about an online prayer service. Now, in my years working with churches, I know that um, having a specific prayer service um, that is, uh, there's a, a good deal of participation in can be a challenge. Um, so those statistics don't uh, quite surprise me. But the other thing that people were very interested in, um, two-thirds were interested in, is a daily or weekly spiritual challenge from Hmm. their church. Hmm. So the idea, again, of faith is lived every day, and and so help me do that between Sundays. Hmm. I also like um, one of the results in the bullet points that you sent me on the life transformation research— some thought that the social distancing restrictions would lead to a great spiritual awakening. In other words, when the church is challenged, uh, you know, we would uh, press into God more, and they thought that more people would be coming to church when the buildings opened again. And we haven't seen that uh, in our area that I know of. I think people are still concerned about the virus and concerned about the social distancing or being out in public and I think there's two, there's a lot of fear. What can you tell us about that? Because it makes sense. You'd think that more people would, would turn to God when there's so much uncertainty, there's, there's health concerns. So what can you share about that, uh, Pamela? Um, so I think that uh, this is definitely a time for hope, that the church is, is responding to the pandemic. Um, we do see people saying that their faith is stronger, um, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to translate into overflowing churches when we get fully back. Yeah, I don't in, think so. <laughs> with, in person. Um, one thing that really fascinated me about all of this is is God's timing of when this kind of pandemic occurred, um, because it did include Easter, right? The restrictions included Easter, which is a time when mo- when a lot of your um, occasional attenders come. Mm -hmm. And so I think for the first time then you had some occasional attenders who couldn't go on Easter and now discovered this world of online worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? It's it's funny that you said that. I I still have a hard time calling it online worship, but you know, that's just me. I have these uh, mental blocks that I can't get through. But um, thank you. The Center for Bible Engagement, uh, I'm reading a little background. It began in 2003 as a research division of Back to the Bible. And one more question for you, uh, Dr. Pamela Cadill. Were there any results that surprised you or what stands out to you the most about the, I think you've done at least four surveys recently. Um, I think that uh, even among the regular attenders, this is one of the things that surprised me. Um, so these are folks who, who have been in the faith a while. They, they're, they're solid. They're engaged with Scripture. Um, about one-fifth of them found themselves questioning God huh. during this time. Wow. And, and that surprised me, um, and that, I think, shows the need for us to kind of continue to connect with each other, encourage each other, you know, um, the need to still be engaging with God's Word daily, even if you have all your life, because it's living and active, and mm. um, will meet you where your need is at right now. 
Um, hmm. So that is one of the ones things that really stood out to me. Interesting. That's about 20% of people. And as, as you know, it's the universal uh, debate of uh, why does God allow evil in the world? And that's, it. that's trusting in his sovereignty in regards to the coronavirus. So, uh, Dr. Caudell, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate the, the work that you guys do. And I will put the links in today's podcast at StandUpForTheTruth.com. God bless you, and uh, I will be looking for more research to come down the road. We'll have you on again, God willing. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Center for Bible Engagement. A lot of good information there. Um, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will jump into the topic of, let's see, I was going to say social distancing. Nope. (laughs) I'm done with that, (laughs) as many of us are. It did begin with an S, though. Uh, Social justice, or, quote, progressive Christianity, and what that's all about. When we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Okay, let's dive right into this. We are talking about social justice, uh, the next step for diversity and inclusion. So much goes into this. Um, Some call progressive Christianity, uh, simply another way of talking about social justice. No, so not, we're not talking about secularism. We're talking about some of these things that end up into the church under the umbrella of Christianity. Let's talk about the Center for Progressive Christianity. On their homepage, they make it clear that uh, they view themselves— uh, let me just read this quote. By calling ourselves progressive, we mean we are Christians who recognize the faithfulness of other people who have other names for the way to God's realm and acknowledge that their ways are true for them, as our ways are true for us. Did you hear that? That's moral relativism. It might be true for you, but it's not true for me. So progressive can simply be a euphemism for, ready, socialism. And we've been talking about this. And we need to be discerning about all these things. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, those are three things. Examine everything carefully. Another translation says, test all things. Hold fast to the good. Avoid or abstain from every form of evil. So let's talk about one of the big things that's happening. I'm not even talking about the protests and uh, uh, race issues that we're dealing with currently, which we'll get to that in a minute. But environmentalism, a lot of this goes back to this push for globalism. It's all about unifying the world, one system, one, you know, government, a world, one world government, right? We've heard a lot about that in the Christian church. Well, if you talk about Bible prophecy in your church, you've talked about a one world religion, one world government. Um, A lot of Christians that are in the know are not too fond of the United Nations and uh, the money that we are giving them. But let's talk about environmentalism just quickly. Besides an emphasis on caring for the poor through social justice, progressive Christians are environmentally conscious and believe that followers of Jesus are commanded to be, for lack of a better description, guardians of the earth. The logical progression of this thinking, though, is we start worshiping the earth, not bowing on our knees necessarily and, you know, whatever, making it an idol. However, by your very actions and how your worldview changes, it does make the earth or nature an idol. So we know about that. The, the ultimate conclusion is man is the problem. If you want to honor the earth, if you want to take care of the earth, I'm not talking about being good stewards and being responsible with what we have here on the earth. That's so important. That's so standard. That's basic. So please, (laughs) understand we're not making that argument. We should not be reckless and careless, and we should be clean up what we can and not do more destruction. But they take it to this degree that that convinces people, especially young people in, in the public school system 
uh, academia. What's their result? What's their conclusion? Man is the problem. Human beings are evil. We are destroying the planet. That so man, we got to get man out of the way. In other words, population control. Why do you think people like Bill Gates and others? It's this is not a conspiracy theory, friends. There are rich, wealthy elites in this world, globalists, that meet and talk about this problem of overpopulation. Let's just look at America now, the size of Texas. Let's look at Nebraska. Let's look at Utah. Look at some of these states and understand how much space and country is being unused. I know people like the coasts, the West Coast, the East Coast. I understand that. We like lakes. But there's a lot of room in this nation alone, let alone other continents. Okay? So we're not going to make the case here. <laughs> well, I guess we, we could. We can just go to the Bible and his value of every human life and say, you know what? You don't abort babies. You don't kill life in the womb. And you don't kill the elderly because you think they're not useful to society anymore. You don't do that. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, so now I just want to share a few scriptures I came across in an article the other day that was like, wow, the days of Noah. That's what we're in. It seems uh, Luke 17, 26, Jesus said this. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the son of man. Genesis 6, 11 through 13 says this. And I'm, you know what? I don't know if I'm, yeah, I will read the whole thing. But it's this first sentence that we're looking at and going, hmm, what's happening now? It says this, Genesis 6, 11, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. It's not talking about thunder or lightning, storms, earthquakes. It's talking about man. And we know in Jeremiah, I believe 17, says the heart of man is wicked and beyond cure. Um, it's, it's inherently bad, and we, only, we need God. We can't clean up our own hearts. We can't renew our hearts on our own. We need a Savior. We need God. The, 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 systematic, the systemic problem is sin. So let me just finish in Genesis 6, those couple verses. So the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So we know that um, God saved Noah and his family and judged the world with a catastrophic worldwide flood. And uh, we know that's Bible history. Um, let's go to the next. We were talking about environmentalism, okay? Let's go to these those who want to unify. Um, progressive Christians talk about the sacredness and the oneness and the unity of all life. It sounds like universalism, doesn't it? So liberals create this culture of evil and death. Um, aggressive liberals, many of whom are well-known pastors, authors, conference speakers, televangelists, radio hosts, CEOs of Christian organizations, even some, uh, most of our beloved evangelical leaders, <laughs> appear to be morphing into these into theological liberals. Um, Romans 12, 2, I think of it says, Do not conform to the world or the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The extent of this movement to liberal ideology varies with each individual, but in certain cases, they have gone completely off the rails. False doctrine, which we are warned about time and time again from the earliest letters of Paul in the Gospels, Jesus warned about it. He said, watch that no one deceives you. Jude says, contend for the faith and talks about those. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. Bible studies um, are authored by notable Christians, promoted by Christian publishers, which are now taking on this progressive worldview. So the theme here, social justice, um, this theology can also be maybe interchangeably called social justice uh, gospel. 
um, it advances such ideas as we're seeing now, racial justice, open borders, left-wing political ideology that has a facade of Christ-likeness, but on the, under the surface, um, it, it just replaces the gospel with social activism. People groups, let's talk about this. What is critical race theory, CRT? I had to look this up to, to get a better handle on it. It recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society, and the individual racist need not exist to uh, note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture, right? This is the analytical lens that critical race theory uses in examining existing power structures. There's one of the problems to the left. These power structures or organizations, CRT, critical race theory, identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. And these are some of the things I'll, I'll just talk about um, social justice. We could do program after program on some of the history of it and the prog problems with secularization when it comes into the church. But I just want to talk about four things real quick. Intersectionality, it's a term used to describe how different forms of discrimination can interact and overlap with each other. In, a recent, in recent years, it's become a feminist buzzword. Have you heard it recently? Intersectionality. I hear them, uh, media contributors, talking about that. Some of these media outlets, I'm scratching my head going, okay, how are they applying this now? Well, as a concept, intersectionality deals with the cumulative societal effects of, ready, systemic discrimination on people, whether that be gays, um, transgenders, uh, who else? Uh, of course, uh, blacks. Uh, it could be minorities. Uh, we'll get to open borders in a minute. Um, so you're trying to fight for, allegedly, a disadvantaged group. For example, there, one woman is oppressed by the anti-women crowd. A black woman faces anti-woman and anti-black bias. A black lesbian woman faces anti-woman, anti-black, anti-gay discrimination. Do you understand? It could go on and on and on. Where do you stop? The point of intersectionality is that the victim of only one type of discrimination may have a hard time identifying with those who face multiple types of oppression. Next, cultural Marxism. Now, this is just, we're going through the bullet points here. Just briefly, we could do so much more, but our time is limited, and I don't want to belabor the points. It's all under this umbrella of social justice, which the concern for us as Christians is how churches are dividing over these issues, okay? Cultural Marxism, a revolutionary leftist idea that traditional culture is the source of oppression in the modern world. Cultural Marxism is often linked to an insistence upon PC, political correctness, multiculturalism, and perpetual attacks on the foundations of culture. We look at America, right? What were we founded upon? The Judeo-Christian worldview, the Bible. We're not going to make the argument that every one of our founders and patriots were Christians, but we can make the argument they were the, in the majority. I've read recently that it was either 92 or 94. I'll take the lower number. 92% of any documents you can find written by our founders referenced or quoted the Bible or scriptural principles. Did you hear that? Approximately 92% of all the documents that could be found and collected that our founders ever wrote or put together that we accumulated refer to the Bible, or biblical principles, or flat-out quote scripture. 92%. And I'm getting passionate because here it is. It's coming. How much of that is taught in public schools today? Zero. Zero. I don't want to get into that because it's just infuriating to me how you can defend a godless education system. But we've talked enough about that on this show. Next. And here's what influenced our former president, Barack Obama, black liberation theology. This is a theological perspective 
which originated among African-American seminaries and scholars in some black churches in the U.S., later in other parts of the world. It contextualizes Christianity in an attempt to help those of African descent overcome oppression. This is a theology that is taught. Barack Obama's former pastor of 20 years, which we'll get into in another program, Jeremiah Wright. Remember his famous words, GD America, for, oppress- for oppressing blacks? That's right. And he, Barack Obama went to that church for 20 years. Why do you think Mr. Obama came up and he was elected president and everyone thought, oh, he's going to try to unite the country. All he did is divide and make it worse. And now Trump is even dividing more. So this is, we are already the divided states of America. But here's some of the background. Social justice is one of the problems. It's a cancer in the church. So black liberation theology uh, especially focuses on the injustices continually committed against African Americans. I'm not saying there aren't any. Please don't misquote me. Um, But de- Constructionism is the next term, deconstructionism. It's a term very closely tied to postmodernism. It's a challenge to the attempt to establish any ultimate or secure meaning in a text. Um, let me go back to one thing, the problem, the cultural Marxism. I, I didn't describe what their issue is, progressive Christians or atheists or secularists, with the foundation of our culture because they think it's systemically bad or evil. What's the foundation other than the Judeo-Christian principle and values system? It's the nuclear family, it's marriage, it's patriotism, it's traditional morality, law and order, and you can go on down the list. But now we've got people in the church, Christians, who have issues with some of these things because of what they've been sold. Okay? So... A little bit more on deconstructionism, and we need to take a break. Basing itself in language analysis, deconstructionism, all means is is there's this move to deconstruct the ideological, quote, biases. Ready? Gender, racial, economic, political, cultural. Everybody's biased about something. I admit my biases, though. You better admit yours. But are they evil or are they just how we see the world based on our background or where we came from? We're making these out to be dividing lines and they really shouldn't be. What happened to respectfully agreeing to disagree? Um, So traditional assumptions that infect all histories as well as philosophical and religious truths. Um, So much more to get to. We are on the topic of social justice and how it has crept in to the Christian church. Um, When we come back, after we take a a really quick break here, we'll talk about critical theory. I read up a little bit on this before the show um, over the last couple days, and how social justice and critical theory are cancers now in the church. Um, So what's biblical justice? So you can put a word before justice. We've told you this many, 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 many times. Be careful whenever there's any word in front of justice, because chances are that agenda or that movement is not truly seeking justice. And then we need to remember that God is just. And my goodness, uh, he will not withhold judgment for too much longer. So much more to come on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, that means hate, what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The Ten Commandments are generally summed up as you shall have no other gods before me, the Lord God said. You shall not make idols. 
I think most of us have some form of idol in our lives. You shall not take the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your labor. You shall not lie. And finally, you shall not covet. What are we seeing happening in America today? And I'm not necessarily talking about the rioters and looters that are committing violence, that are stealing, that are coveting other people's goods. But we, let's point the finger back at us for a minute. And I admit it, sometimes I, that's one of the biggest sins I have to confess most frequently, coveting another person's lifestyle, vacation, house. I have to repent of coveting more than any other sin. Coveting and pride are uh, the ones that I have to repent of. But what are they, what's happening in this country and not just what, what's happening on the streets? They took these Ten Commandments out of our public schools in the 1960s. They took voluntary prayer out of the government-run schools in the 1960s. Starting in the 80s, if not before, there was a work to get to this point in the 80s, but Ten Commandments monuments began uh, being attacked and they were removed from the public square. When you remove fixed moral pillars, a foundation of biblical morality, and then it's going to leave a void. You've got to replace it with something. So now, what are we seeing? We're seeing kids encouraged to experiment sexually. We're seeing rampant homosexuality. We're seeing rampant pornography. We're seeing adultery, which we've talked about on this podcast, that in the 50s and 60s, particularly in the 60s, <laughs> Woodstock and the hippie movement and the free love, which just meant sex, um, Adultery really set the stage in a godless way and opened the door for the homosexual movement, the LGBT movement, to come in and say, look, you guys are hypocrites. You're sleeping around. You're not even honoring your, your own marriages. Don't tell us about how to live sexually. And they have a point, right? But that's one of the commandments. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. George Floyd was... Killed. He was murdered a couple weeks ago. That's what some want to peacefully protest about. You have a right under the Constitution to peaceably assemble. But you do not have a right to destroy people's lives, public property, private property, to take over and have no rule of law. But what are they doing? They're killing people. I've heard at least... Well, I know now, I just did an article on this for Freedom Project Media this week. At least 10 of the people that have been killed, I think there's the number is up to 18 now, maybe more, that have been killed during the rioting and protesting in two weeks. At least 10 of them have been blacks. Uh, hey, I'll lock arms with you if you will just add one word. All. In other words, Black Lives Matter. If you put all Black Lives Matter, I'll lock arms and I'll peacefully protest with you. Because that means you're concerned about what Planned Parenthood does and the murder of black babies in the womb. Did you know that in New York City, one out of every two uh, pregnancies ends in abortion? It's, it's more than that, actually. They're, they're destroying black, more black lives in New York. I think it's like 60-some percent. Is that not racism? You need to understand how Planned Parenthood started and you need to go to standardforthetruth.com and in the search bar type in Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. What did I just read off? Commandment number seven. Oh, that's, that's you shall not commit adultery. Number six, you shall not murder. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not take innocent life. So if you say all black lives matter, I'm with you. But what's happened is now I'm getting off... Uh, off the topic a little bit. Let me go back to this quote. My passion gets the best of me. Um, the leftist cancer in America has metastasized. And one of the biggest culprits we need to understand and come to terms with 
is the education system perfect? Uh, academia is awful. They're not allowing just conservative people or Christian people to speak publicly. And we, this has been go- going on for a couple decades. Now you see some of the fruit of academia. Even a college press professor got suspended recently. I won't go in. All right. The quote, aside from the awful media, corporate advertisers, and the entertainment industry, universities are filled with America-hating professors. And they got into the... Okay, I won't go back into the history of all that. Look up Fabian socialists and Marxism in America in the, 40s, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. So, so the finest colleges in the nation are producing indoctrinated progressive minions, which we see now out on the streets between the ages of 18 and 30. Hateful anti-American poison is spewed not only in these liberal universities, which is the majority, but by Hollywood, the progressive media, Democrats, though some of the people can still be saved. These institutions, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I think these institutions at this point in history, they are beyond reform or redemption. They are anti-Christ. They are anti-Christian. The genesis of the seething hatred began decades ago at our universities. If you can't see it, you have not been paying attention. It has spread like a contagion into all levels of learning now. And it doesn't start when you get out of high school, by the way. You know that. But radical professors are attacking American history. Textbooks have been permanently edited. And the ideals of Western civilization, it's getting worse. But remember, our hope is in Christ. That's the only way true peace can be found. What I started off these two segments with is the problem of sin. So that's why I read the Ten Commandments. So, um, Let's talk about critical theory. This is something that should be of concern to churches because it's in the church. Um, critical theory is rooted in Karl Marx's ideology of power structures, that power is controlled by a select few, and only by enforcing total equality can people be free. Critical theory is the idea that people are enslaved in various forms by society itself. And that the chief end is to set people free from oppressive societal structures. The new social justice warrior causes are not grounded in traditional Christianity or the Bible, but actually they come out of the secular university system and they tend to be rooted in you know, thinkers like Karl Marx. I'll just read a little bit more here from this article, which I'll put in today's podcast post. The progressive viewpoint... And remember, the whole problem here, why are we talking about this? Why does this matter? Because they need the gospel. People don't believe in Christ. The problem is it's seeped into the church. The progressive viewpoint tends to see the America founding um, from a critical theory perspective. It says that the systems in place are in place because they are evil, and they stole power from the masses. So the the American founding is attacked and slandered. That's what we're seeing today. The whole system, they're not just talking about police or law enforcement or rule of law. The whole system has to be taken down, right? Saul Alinsky's rule for radicals, Cloward-Piven strategy. Um, The America founding is repackaged as today, evil slaveholding white men killing Native Americans in the early days and forming an evil oppressive religious theocracy that forced people into churches, and it must be toppled, including the patriarchy, the leadership of men, and it must be toppled and rebuilt from the ground up. In other words, they're saying, like I just said about the public school system and the media, the entertainment industry, there's no redemption. People can be saved. Individuals can be saved. But my two cents is the systems are not redeemable. I am not saying that about American country, society, or our culture, but they are saying that. The left is, and many progressive Christians are. The idea is that if only progressives can gain power and overthrow the existing structures, then people can be free, and there will be fairness and equality. If progressives get power, and that means the White House, that means government, that means universities, which they already have, Hollywood, which they already have, the public schools, which they already have, academia, which they already have, corporations, which they already have. So we only have a portion of churches. 
so to speak. So we in the churches who follow Jesus and the teachings of the Bible should reject these false ideologies and we, would, we should challenge these false concepts like multiculturalism, white privilege, institutional racism. I'm not saying racism is history. That doesn't exist. But institutional, supposed, supposed gender inequality, open borders, immigration policy, advocating for victim groups. We advocate for individuals. We love our neighbors. But it's hard to love a whole group because a group can be whatever they make it to be and whatever label they put on it. So these ideologies are not rooted in traditional Christianity in the Bible. They are rooted in secular social theory. And I've got to stop there. There's so much more to talk about group identity, identity politics. But hopefully I've given you a little bit of background on why this is dangerous when you have secular social theory and, quote, social justice moving into the church under the umbrella of Christianity, don't do that to Jesus. God will not be mocked. And those of you who are pushing this on the left, you will reap what you sow. And the rest of us, we're just going to try to pray. We're going to try to seek God, dig deeper, pray harder, and speak the truth without apology or compromise. When we come back, we'll tell you about our guests next week on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, we've got so much going on here. Thank you so much for um, sharing our podcast, as always. Um, I'm excited to have a special guest on next week to talk about persecution of the Christians worldwide. Um, Kyle Apps, we are going to talk to him. First-time guest, another one. Pastor Carl Gallops, he won't have any strong opinions and views and commentary on what's going on in our culture and country. He'll be with us next Tuesday. Next Wednesday, I will be interviewing Pastor Seiko Woods. Actually, he's up taking a break from the ministry now, but he's African-American. He's been on the show. It's been several years since he's been on the show. But, man, if you missed his Facebook Live over the weekend, he's going to do another one this weekend. Check it out. He brings in a whole panel of people, mostly African-Americans. They talk about these issues, and I, I've been so impressed with the balance from a biblical perspective uh, that they've talked about. So he's on Facebook. Look up Seiko Woods. Uh, Thursday, we're, I'm thinking we're going to talk a whole lot more about this issue of social justice, how it's affecting Christianity. And uh, former um, homosexual, George Carneal, he'll be with us next Friday. He's got a book out, From Queer to Christ, My Journey into the Light. So a, a packed week next week. Thank you again, guys. God bless you. And we appreciate uh, all your prayers for this ministry. We need it. Yesterday I had a really rough day, admittedly. Um, really discouraged, battling discouragement. And um, it's only by your prayers and the grace of God that I just continue to fight the good fight of faith sometimes when you get hit with a, a lot of opposition. But we can expect that as Christians. Jesus said, if they hate you, remember, they hated me first. Well, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.